It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.com. Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria.com or give my man a call 912 268 2328. 912 268 2328. Find out why I go to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Holiday Inn and all their properties. Hey, you got to travel someplace? You need to stay somewhere? Make sure you stay at a Holiday Inn property. My favorites, Holiday Inn Resorts, and, of course, the Holiday Inn Express, because I always feel, you know, so much smarter after I sleep there. I can give you another reason why you should stay at a Holiday Inn property, because I'll get you a discount. It's all about the money. Come on. You know what they say. It's not about the money. It's about the money. When they say it's not about the money, it's about the money. So I'll get you some savings uh, off your next day at a Holiday Inn. Just use our toll-free number, 844-603-0364, 844-603-0364. Or if you're like me, can't remember numbers, just visit the website, billycboxing.com, and click on the banner. You get the same discount. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage. The Baddest Man on the Planet is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. Wait, you want to get a signed copy? Just visit the website, billycboxing.com, and uh, just click on the book. You want more than one copy? Then... uh, no problem. Drop me an email. I'll hook you up with special pricing. Billy at Talkin' Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. I want to give a shout-out to my man Kenny from Kenny Bears. It's the only stuff I put. I, I'm like addicted. I don't know what he put in it, but uh, it's some great stuff. Uh, barbecue rub. It's not just a barbecue rub because I put it on everything. You want to get yourself a bottle, visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, and click on the banner. And uh, if you need uh, more information, uh, just uh, visit their website, southerngourmetspice.com. Um, coming up a little bit later, uh, we've got uh, Dax Khan. He's going to join us and uh, give us uh, his thoughts on the fights from this weekend. Um, also, uh, uh, 
I got some emails to read. Um, you know, uh, we are not doing a live show tomorrow. So a little programming note. But uh, today I want to talk mostly uh, about uh, the fights from this weekend. We'll start it off with uh, Terrence Crawford uh, winning the WBO World Welterweight title from Jeff Horn. Stopped him at 2 minutes and 33 seconds of the ninth round in uh, what exactly, a, a fight that was exactly like I thought it would be. Uh, I called it Terrence Crawford. Listen, we talk about pound for pound and all of that, right? But let's make no mistake. Terrence Crawford is the uh, one of the examples. I, I, I would say that him and Vasily Lomachenko right now are the two pound for pound fighters uh, neck and neck at number one. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, is both, although their styles are slightly different, both of these guys represent the true sweet science. The sweet science, boys and girls, is when you hit your opponent and can't be hit, but when you're still in a position to inflict damage on your opponent again. It doesn't mean you avoid a punch and run to the other end of the ring. That's not the sweet science. What Terrence Crawford did against Jeff Horn on Saturday night is the sweet science. Just like Vasily Lomachenko, what he does is the sweet science. Uh, Terrence Crawford has a mean streak. He knows how to finish you off. And uh, the referee in this fight stopped the fight. There's uh, a very a lot of similarities between this fight with Terrence Crawford and uh, Jeff Horn, as was the case when Jeff Horn beat Manny Pacquiao uh, for Manny Pacquiao's title uh, when they fought. The difference here is that when Terrence Crawford got his man in trouble, he did not take his foot off the gas, went out and got him in more trouble, uh, prompting the referee to stop the fight. Uh, what Manny Pacquiao did was got him in trouble. You could make a good case that the fight should have been stopped. It was not, and the fish got let off the hook, so to speak. Terrence Crawford did not uh, let uh, Jeff Horn uh, get away. He finished him off, pummeled him. He is a fast guy, an accurate puncher. He's got that mean streak. And Terrence Crawford has enough pop behind his punches uh, to uh, to get the job done. We all want to see him fight Errol Spence Jr. But uh, interesting uh, comparison was made by Bob Arum. We all know, uh, you know what you want to think of Bob Arum at this point. But he says he's the same, if not better, than Sugar Ray Leonard. Interesting. Joining me right now to get his thoughts on the fight is uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. Uh, before you give me your thoughts on the fight, is it uh, fair to to make that uh, comparison between Terrence Crawford and, and Sugar Ray Leonard? Even though Crawford's still, you know, he's in a he's he's still in the early stages of his career. He's got a long way to go. Yeah, he's got a long way to go. I think. Uh... I think it was a little premature on Bob Aram's part, but uh, surely uh, it was something that maybe he would hope to see. But let me tell you something. You know and I know a very special fighter comes along every so often. And Sugar Ray Leonard was one of those very, very special fighters that came up uh, from the 76 Olympic team and had a stellar career and was a world beater and fought hard lost some big fights but he won a lot of big fights and uh his style his grace his his the the performances that he had in the ring and the things that he would do and the comeback from behind victories 
I mean, he, he displayed, you know, the heart of a champion and the skills set, set level of a champion. And guess what? I wasn't one of the uh, uh, same-time current fans of Sugar Ray uh, Leonard. I, uh, I uh, only learned to respect and appreciate him more and more and more of how truly special of a fighter he really was, even after his retirement. So, uh, yes, my hands, hats off, and I think it's a little premature on Bob Aaron's part, but hey, we're all hopeful and see. But I think Terrence Crawford is a very, very special fighter, and he can do a lot. And I do agree with you. Along with Vasily Lomachenko, I think Terrence Crawford is one of the best pound-for-pound pound out there today. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it, between the number one and number two spot, I mean, those two guys, you, you know, I wouldn't argue with either one being in the number one spot. I, I really wouldn't. Um, both of them have uh, uh, similar tendencies. Uh, their styles are slightly different. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko, um, you know, has a bit more ring uh, generalship control. Uh, you know, he controls the ring a little more. Um, but then again, Crawford doesn't let his guy off the hook, man, and he showed it again. No, and, um, you know, w what I like about Terrence Crawford is that, and, and the same thing with, with Vasily. I don't mean to keep comparing it to Vasily. Vasily didn't fight, so let's just try to focus on Terrence. But uh, the thing about Crawford is that he clearly has a mean streak, and when he gets going, Sal, he doesn't mind to, to, to throw in that mean streak during the fight. I mean, it almost yeah. seems like he enjoys punishing his opponents because he systematically breaks them down the way good fighters do. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I This guy, is uh, he seems to be getting better and better. And by the way, he didn't look that big. Uh, Jeff Horn looked way bigger than him, I thought, uh, when they were standing next to each other, you know, fighting in the ring. What, what did you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I, I thought the same. And, you know, Jeff Horn, we saw him out against Manny Pacquiao. He looked a lot bigger. But uh, uh, against Terrence Crawford, I, I think he looked bigger, but he didn't look uh, all that big. And, uh, you know, it was uh, – I you could tell from the get-go. I, I mean, I was just so happy that, uh, you know, it was exactly what we saw it was going to be. I mean, Jeff Horn rose to the occasion. He beat an aging and smaller Manny Pacquiao. Uh, I give him that credit, but that was probably the best Jeff Horn we are ever going to see. Uh, and Terrence Crawford knew that, and a lot of people knew that, and Terrence Crawford made sure that he was going to establish himself as the victor. So, uh, yeah, it was a good fight. Well, you know, again, the big difference between the two fights when we're talking about Terrence Crawford and, and Manny Pacquiao is that um, Jeff Horn, and I agree with you, Jeff Horn we're seeing the best Jeff Horn. His style wears opponents down. He's got a great chin. Uh, he weathers the storm. He's got a lot of heart. Uh, skill set, mm, not so much. I mean, you know, he throws his punches and, and in bunches. He, he, he moves forward. Uh, but moving forward and throwing a lot of punches sometimes doesn't doesn't work against the elite fighters because they can avoid the or at least uh, avoid getting punched you know, straight on, so to speak, flush, uh, and then counterpunch. And he leaves himself wide open. His defense isn't that great. I no. think what I, I think what we saw was a clear indication and, and if you want to leave aging out of it, yeah. you know, um the difference between Terrence Crawford and Manny Pacquiao, at least against Jeff Horn, was that Terrence Crawford 
did not take his foot off the gas. After his feel-out round, uh, no. you know, he went in for the kill and continued to go for the kill. Whereas Manny Pacquiao felt that the fight was over uh, after that one round where he had him in all kinds of trouble. And then that was it. He, he, he seemingly, you know, didn't want to beat him up versus Terrence Crawford, who enjoys beating up his opponents. Well, that's a good point. And uh, like you said... It's always good to have a little mean streak in you and to pull it out when you can, and, and, and he sure, certainly did. And, uh, you know, um, big difference between Manny Pacquiao and Terrence Crawford against Jeff Horn. Um, some other fights uh, that we'll talk about, another really exciting fight, uh, oh. Leo Santa Cruz, oh, uh, you know, retained uh, his title or actually uh, now became the... Uh, uh, all-out uh, WBA champion, because if you recall, the WBA is, is is such a ridiculous outfit. I mean, Leo Santa Cruz was the super uh, world featherweight champion for the WBA, and Abner Mares was the regular old WBA world featherweight champion. You know, so now at the end, uh, Leo Santa Cruz won a, uh, a unanimous decision, improving to 35 wins, one loss, uh, and uh, one draw with 19 knockouts uh, when he won a decision, unanimous decision over Abner Marys Saturday night. Marys drops the third fight of his career. He's now 31-3 and three with a draw with 15 knockouts. Talk about uh, a fight that was action-packed uh, from beginning to end. I mean, this fight, there was no such thing as a feeling-out round. Uh, the one thing I noticed, you know, Santa Cruz, l l listen, no one is a bigger fan of Leo Santa Cruz than me, Sal. But you know what I'm going to say. That that little thing that he does with the glove, I think I'm telling you, I know it's a nervous uh, uh, thing or, or just a, uh, a habit or whatever. It slows him down for delivering his punches or at least the accuracy. And then... You know, halfway through the fight, I noticed another one he developed. He's taking the other hand and he's tapping his, his belt line with it. You know, so now here's a guy that's got two, in baseball you'd call it a, a hitch in your swing or something. This guy's got not one but two hitches in his in his uh, punching uh, uh, output. And, and the thing is, is that, I, I mean, listen, he's fought elite fighters uh, Santa Cruz had and obviously he's come out on top and Abner Marys is no slouch but yeah. Sal I, I mean obviously they tried to break it I mean no it's not like nobody has noticed this but I think it's slowing this guy down with his reaction time you know in the middle of spinning that glove just back and forth then he wants to let a punch go season opening or something he's he's got to stop that movement of, of his hand I, I don't know I don't know how Honestly, I, I don't know how he's gone this far with that kind of a hitch in his punch. What what was your thoughts on the fight? And did you see the, the new one with the tapping of the belt line? <laughs> a little tapping of the belt line. Hey, maybe things is a distraction. I don't know. I mean, you never know what he might be doing or thinking. But, you know, the bottom line is, yeah, your hand's got to be in a position to deliver a punch in an instant. Bam. And, you know, maybe he feels doing this and then, bam, he can do that. He can, he can open it up and deliver it. Um, the reality of it is, uh, you know, he, he's got to be told that, hey, you're doing something and it could be a distraction or it could be uh, nullifying your, your speed and getting punches off and being in a position for defense. So, you know, he, he, it's worked for him this far and thus far. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. But the fight itself was a great fight. It was a war. 
And, you know, afterwards, listening to both fighters in the interview, hey, they had the best and the utmost respect for each other. And uh, whether you wanted to agree with everything Abner Mara said or not, uh, what a gentleman he really was. And, you know, does a fight call for maybe a third fight? Yeah, maybe. But uh, uh, there's other fish to fry right now, I'm sure that uh, Leo Santa Cruz is going to want to get in the ring with. But uh, I'll tell you what, can't take it away from Admiral Maris. He fought his heart out, and uh, it was a close fight. He was in the fight the whole time. But, uh, you know, it was the momentum and the shifting and everything else, just Leo Santa Cruz uh, delivered and did what he had to do to, to uh, outscore his opponent. You know, the, th- uh, the thing uh, that I thought Maris was doing well was he was landing – seemingly the harder punches yes, he was. um but but I uh i thought santa cruz you know santa cruz is is smart a smarter fighter than i think people give him credit for and the reason why i say that is because you know he he's a brawler at heart i mean let's face it the guy loves it he smiles he, he you know when you nail him he he, he wants more it's like please sir yeah. may i have please sir may i have another you know but but <laughs> but the truth of the matter is is he listens to his pops in the corner his father's yeah. the trainer and his father says basically uh during the fight hey use your arm reach use your jab you don't have to brawl with this guy you're going to win this fight by using the distance correctly uh and and you know landing a jab and following it with rights and he, and he was uh landing an uppercut too during the fight and yeah. that's exactly what how he won this fight when yeah. Mares moved in close um he didn't yeah but he didn't seem effective when he was in close no. even though he landed some punches but the other thing i noticed about leo santa cruz in this fight sal was that most fighters, when they're moving forward, um, have a tendency to to either uh, you know jab the air or get caught because they're not you know a- they're not able to do two things at once. Which what I the two things I'm referring to is maintaining the safe distance as you're moving forward, and uh, he was doing that effectively when he was not inside brawling. And uh, one of the commentators, uh, one of the good commentators, so it must have been Steve uh, Farhood or, uh, uh, you know, Paulie Malignaggio or, of course, Al Bernstein, because it couldn't have possibly been an other idiot that is the worst uh, commentator in the sport. Uh, but uh, they noticed it, too. And, you know, that's not that easy to do, is it, Sal, to be moving forward and maintaining a safe distance while you're in range to uh, uh, connect with your opponent. Well, you're trying to close in. The, when you're moving forward, you're definitely trying to close the distance between between uh, your opponent and yourself. And to be in a position and to move your head, your hands, keep up there defensively and work your way in with that jab or do some feints. And that's what I like to see a little bit more, the art of feinting. I, I don't see it as effective or as being utilized by a lot of the fighters as much as it was in my generation. But uh, uh, they're still out there, and, and I'll tell you what. But, yeah, effectively moving, closing the distance between – your opponent yourself and going forward and slipping punches and getting in there and, and getting the distance to deliver your right, your left, your hook, uppercut, whatever it could be, you're constantly striving for that. So when you walk, work, working your way in, cutting the ring off, hopefully, will help you make your job a little easier. No, but my point is, is when you're moving forward, uh, you know, it, it's harder to maintain the distance because you're moving forward and you're it's almost it's almost like a reactionary uh point because you're moving forward now you don't know what your opponent's going to do is he going to move to his side is he going to come 
at you? Is he is he going to move forward to you? So all of a sudden you're you're right there. Is he going to move backwards? So I, I mean, there's a, a lot of things that that normally take place before a fighter that's being aggressive, so to speak, moving forward. Um, you know, is at the right distance to be safe for that fighter I'm talking about. In this case, Leo Santa Cruz had the height and reach advantage, but he just seemed to control that distance regardless whether he was, you know, in the center of the ring, whether he was moving forward, or whether they were fighting inside. And and I, I give him credit for that because uh, um, it's not easy to do is my point. Right, but, you know, you're looking uh, with, with these two fighters, both willing and wanting to engage, because they they both equally thought they would oust the other one once inside. So you had the the as I use the term ebb and flow, and it looked like you know as long as you're moving forward and being in a position, that's the whole thing. You got to have your cat-like reflexes because you're going to deliver and you're going to receive. So you got to be defensively ready in the pocket and and shoot it. But the bottom line is you're wanting to engage and get closer to that opponent and maintain a good distance where you are not going to get too close to crowd your punches and you're not going to be too far away to miss your punches. So it, it is the sweet spot, if you will. And uh, good fighters know how to work their way in, to deliver those shots and to, to, to slip the other punches coming in. And uh, you, 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 you do the same thing. The guy comes forward, you step back, boom, you deliver. You work your way in, you cut the ring off. It's a, it's a real, real neat. You had two artists out there doing that and both wanting to establish their distance on both, both planes. Uh, great fight, great heart. And, you know, even Abner Maraz, I, I had to uh, give him credit. What a good sportsman. I mean, this, these were two gentlemen, two sportsmen, and uh, both humbled by what they encountered with each other in the ring. So I, I thought it was, it was a good display of, across the board. The co-main event that was uh, broadcast uh, on the uh, uh, Showtime broadcast, uh, the, the WBC junior middleweight champ, uh, Jermel Charlo, improved to 31-0 with 15 knockouts when he scored a 12-round uh, majority decision uh, over uh, uh, former uh, world champion Austin Trout. Um, Trout uh, drops to 31-5 uh, and five. Uh, with uh, seven uh, knockouts, uh, 17 knockouts, I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I thought that the, the, the Charlo brothers, and, and I say this plurally because they're both very similar, I think they're very limited with skills. I, I, I think that both of these guys have a lot of punching power, and when they engage, they inflict damage. Uh, on their opponents, but really they haven't fought, um, you know, young top opponents like themselves yet. Um, Jamal uh, Charlo was successful in beating Austin Trout, and his brother this Saturday, Jermel Charlo, was also successful. But the one thing I got to point out is Austin Trout is not the same fighter uh, that he was when he was a world champion. And, you know, with the talk that the uh, Jermel Charlo was saying, how he's going to knock him out, he's going to do this, he couldn't knock him out. And he was fighting in spurts. And when he did fight aggressively, he seemingly hurt Trout. But when he wasn't, he was letting Trout dictate the pace, you know, jabbing him and moving around, and he didn't know how to cut the ring off. You know, this is an example, and both of these guys are an example why you need to up your level of opposition on the way up, not while you're a champion. You know, um, I, I, I'm just not impressed 
with either of the Charlo brothers. And and uh, not that, you know, Jamal, um, you know, deserves any airtime here because Jamel was the one that fought. But Jamal Charlo is talking like every middleweight is afraid of him. And we all saw the Danny Jacobs, uh, uh, you know, interaction. Char Charlo brothers were awfully quiet when somebody stands in their face. But when they're all by themselves behind a, uh, a camera where there's one guy filming them, they're awfully tough. Uh, Charlo improved to 31-0. and He moves on. Uh, impressive win in a sense, but I'm not impressed. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, but it was an impressive win. I mean, he did what he had to. He was dominant throughout the fight, I thought. He had a couple of 10-8 rounds, and uh, he, uh, you know, he he kind of let the Austin Trout off the hook a few times. I think what you just said, you know, when he turned it on and he wanted to engage and he wanted to throw a combination, he was effective in doing that. And uh, Austin Trout, to his credit, you know, showed showed some signs and some glimpse of, of, of uh what he was capable of doing, but he never really got the momentum or put it together. And uh, that's what uh, would hurt him, and that's why the score was what it was. Um, the uh, next fight we're going to talk about is the heavyweight comeback Good. of Tyson Fury. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, we will do that as soon as we get back from this break. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, we just had a uh, power outage uh, here at the uh, studio. But uh, thank uh, goodness we have uh, uninterrupted power sources. So uh, uh, we uh, are still uh, uh, moving along here from uh, uh, what, I, uh, what I see anyway. Uh, apparently... Uh, um, we, uh, we did have some streaming issues, but, uh, Hey, it is what it is. And I think we're back, uh, in business here. Sal, you're there, right? I'm here. Right. Yogi Bit. Sounds good. Um, the, uh, the other fight that I wanted to, uh, uh, talk about is, uh, well, several other fights is Tyson Fury, uh, made his comeback fight. Um, and, uh, he improved to 26 and oh, with 16 knockouts uh, against uh, Sefri uh, Sarifi, who drops only the second fight in his career. He's now 23 wins, two losses, uh, and uh, 21 wins of his coming by knockout. He's 39 years old. Uh, uh, let me tell you something. Tyson Fury uh, had the gall to say that he picked a tough opponent and uh, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it, it's a joke, okay? Um, Tyson Fury looked terrible. He looked terrible. Yeah, he beat him. He stopped him in, in the fourth round. It wasn't even a fight. 
the weigh-in was a joke. He was lifting uh, uh, Sarifi up and carrying him around, and he's laughing like he was, you know, uh, hey, thanks for the payday type of thing. Uh, first of all, the height dis- difference was uh, uh, so bad. I mean, it looked like it looked like a, like a high-school uh, kid fighting a kindergartner. I mean, it was it, it wasn't even close. And 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 the other thing is is that Fury looked slow and uncoordinated. Now, maybe maybe he was having a hard time, uh, uh, you know, landing punches on a smaller guy or whatever. But uh, but I got news for you. He wasn't impressive. Yes, he was out for three years. You give him credit. Uh, but, uh, but this guy who says he could beat uh, both Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder with one hand behind his back, uh, now that is a joke. What do you think, Sal? Well... Unfortunately, Bill, I, I know you're a Tyson Fury fan or have been. I, I, no matter what I do, no matter how I try, I do not like Tyson Fury. I'm not a fan of his. And I, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. And yes, it was his first fight out in, uh, back in three years. Does he deserve a powder cake? Yeah, cake? Yeah, sure. Um, and you know what? Suffer some Fury. Uh, I, I wasn't impressed with. I don't know what the total tail of the tape was, how much weight difference, how much height difference. You can fill me in. But, uh, you know, even the first round, if I want to be very generous as a feeling out process and score that even. But Tyson Fury, I mean, all I kept saying to myself watching him and watching his hands down, that left hand down, I said, this guy steps in the ring with Anthony Joshua. He gets knocked out. This guy steps in the ring with uh, my friend Deontay Wilder, and he gets knocked out. And, and you know what? That's the bottom line. Is he going to be fed powder cakes or, or, or puff cakes, whatever you want to call them? Cupcakes. Cupcakes. That's the term. Uh, I don't know. But I will tell you, I will tell you, <laughs> I will tell you this with the commentary. I got a kick out of round four uh, uh, when, when the, <laughs> the commentator said, uh, that was one punch and one bingo punch. <laughs> I said, hey, that's my word, bingo. So I got excited about that. And for Safiri to just quit or have his corner thrown in towel and quit, I mean, he wasn't hurt. He wasn't this and that. And just, uh, you know, like I said, you know, it, it is what we paid to see and uh, or what some people paid to see. And it was a farce more than a fight. Yeah, it was uh, It was a joke. It was a, 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 a the whole fu- way in, up. First of all, you don't disrespect your opponent. You want to go into the world federal wrestling, whatever it is, and you want to pick up your opponent and put on a show, do the get out. But then, you know what? You lack lack of respect right there. I would have been throwing punches and saying, "What the hell do you think you're doing, you big goof?" Well, this is no this is how this is how boxing. Saying, I would have been pissed. This is how boxing is become. It is. It's the, freaking, this is why I'm losing interest, Sal, because it's a joke. It's a joke. You and know, the guy goes I, along with it, like, hey, I know I'm here for the payday. Uh, yeah, make it obvious. Sure, you know, you quit in round four. You don't come back out for round five. You didn't get hurt that I saw. Well, I, listen, you know, um, the way that, you know, you watch you watch uh, 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 the Showtime broadcast and you're listening to, to that idiot uh, doing uh, all his uh, crazy, uh, you know, Moralo, Ronaldo, whatever the hell his name is. 
you know, with all his accolades and and the way he uh, describes things, uh, it's a joke. It's yeah, but he sells the fight too. He he, he markets it. He sells it. I I, I give him credit. Nah, please, credit. please, I don't give him any credit. I don't give him any credit because he ruins the broadcast. He ruins it. Okay, he he he's so busy thinking about what he's going to say and how he's going to say it that he You know, I, th there's a simple way of calling fights, and that is to call the fight as if. What's happening in front of you? What's happening in front of you? You know what I mean? So, uh, um, you know, whatever, whatever. Don't get me started on him because because he's he's the worst. He's the worst commentator I have ever seen in 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 boxing. In boxing, you know. But he's not the worst. Yeah, who's worse than him? Who's worse than him? Who's worse than him? Tell me, name somebody. Give me a name. Who's worse than him? Exactly, you can't, you can't, because uh, Mario Ronaldo is the worst. Okay, he bring, he's got a great team with Al Bernstein and Paulie Malignaggi, and he brings those guys down. And you know, boxing shouldn't be the WWE. It should not be the WWE. I'm sorry, it shouldn't. It should be more of a serious sport, and it's being made fool. We're being made fools of by the powers that be in this sport, and we are developing a fan base that is following it like it's WWE. You wonder why, I, I, listen, I am fastly losing interest in this sport and a lot of the fans. How about that? Another fight on this card. Let me get rid of these. Another fight on God the card. Uh, the WBO uh, junior welterweight title switched hands. Uh, Maurice Hooker improved to 24-0 with three draws uh, when he won a split decision over Terry Flanagan, who loses for the first time in his career. It was a close fight, and I think that if uh, Flanagan didn't suffer the, uh, the, the cut, that he would have won this fight. I think that the judges were swayed uh, by the blood down his face. That's my thoughts. Uh, and last night, there was some heavyweight fights that took place uh, on uh, Fox. And uh, Travis Kaufman, uh, a fraud of a heavyweight. I mean, uh, I, I, he improved to 32-2 and two with 23 knockouts. He scored a 10-round majority decision. Struggled over late substitute Scott Alexander. Remember, he was supposed to fight... 175-year-old Antonio Tarver, who wouldn't get licensed because of his age. Uh, also on that card, uh, Gerald Washington improved to 19 wins, two losses, and a draw when he won a unanimous decision over Wes Nofire, who had only lost one fight going into that uh, one uh, last night. He drops to 20-12. and 12. And uh, Michael Hunter improved to 14-1 and one when he scored a 15, uh, fifth round knockout over uh, uh, Lago Calzad, uh, who drops to uh, 26 uh, and 3. Uh, speaking of heavyweights, we got the uh, heavyweight roundup. Uh, on the undercard of the Tyson Fury fight at the, uh, uh, in uh, uh, the UK, Nathan Gorman. Uh, improved to 13-0 and 0, uh, by stopping Sean Turner uh, via a TKO in the third round of a scheduled 10. Uh, Sean Turner drops to 12-3. Uh, and 3. Alex Dickinson uh, improved to 6-0 and 0 when he knocked out David Howe in the fourth and final round of their fight. Howe drops to 14-10. Uh, and 10. In Argentina, 
Uh, Sergio Benjamin Vega improved to 1-0, making his pro debut a successful one when he won a four-round unanimous decision over uh, Nahuel Fabian Palacios, who drops to 1-3. Uh, In Germany, Philippe Hargovic improved to 5-0 when he stopped Filberto Tovar in the fourth of a scheduled 10-round fight. Tovar was undefeated going into this fight. He was 9-0. He's now 9-1. Hergovic is a guy to keep an eye on for sure. Also in Germany, uh, Eugenios Lazardus improved to 13-3 when he won an eight-round split decision over uh, Gabriel Injuima, who drops to 8-6. In Italy, the hometown favorite, Fabio Piazza, didn't do too well. Seaman Levin improved to 6-2 and two when he won a six-round decision over uh, Fabio Piazza, who drops to 5-1. Uh, and one. In New Zealand, David Light improved to 5-0 and oh when he stopped uh, Thomas Russell uh, in the third of a six, six, uh, scheduled six-round fight. Uh, Russell drops to 0-5. Uh, and, and on Friday in Argentina, a lot of fights in Argentina this weekend, Ariel Esteban Barcomonti improved to 7-1 and one when he stopped uh, Esteban Hillman Tabari uh, in the third of an eight-round uh, fight. Uh, Tabari uh, drops to 40 wins, 23 losses, and a couple of draws. Also in Argentina, uh, Leandro Daniel Robuti improved to five and three when he won a four-round majority decision over Kevin. Uh, I'm sorry, Kevin Nicholas Espinola, uh, who dropped to two and one. And uh, Friday in Illinois. Tervel Pulov improved to 11-0 uh, when he stopped Armando Ancona in the first of a scheduled eight-round fight. Ancona drops to eight wins, eight losses, uh, and a couple of draws. That wraps up uh, the fights for the weekend. We're going to take a short break. Hopefully, we won't lose power this time. And when we come back, we'll get uh, Dax Khan's thoughts uh, on the fight. So uh, uh, don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there, Jeremy. Man, I, I need you to take this one. All right? Wait, what? What? No way! I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you, I'm Billy C. Damn it! Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> The undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. You know, the Tyson Fury fight... you know, the the joke of it all is he's talking to the fans. You know, he, he was trying to, in my opinion, he was doing the best copycat of a Muhammad Ali type thing. Talking to the fans, you know, he did his little uh, roundhouse, little, you know, windmill type thing, you know, with, with his uh, opponent sitting there just, you know, ready to take it. It, it. it was a total joke, all right? And, and, you know, when a guy says stuff like, I could beat Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder with one hand tied behind my back, I know what people can say. Oh, he's just promoting it. Oh, he's just trying to make it. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. But it's stupid to even say because if you guys don't think 
that he looks like a fool uh, by saying stuff like that, and then his performance doesn't speak for itself. We look at Terrence Crawford. His performance spoke for itself. There's no need for him to do anything else. Santa Cruz and Abner Marys, their performances spoke for themselves. They don't have to try to sugarcoat it or try to convince you that you're watching something different than you're actually seeing. You know, if Tyson Fury really wants uh, a real fight and thinks that he can beat uh, one of the two top heavyweights in the world today, then my suggestion is a fast track to a heavyweight title would be a fight and a win over Luis Ortiz. How about that? We're going to see uh, Tyson Fury fight another Sarifi uh, come next. You watch it. Joining me right now to get his thoughts uh, on the fights from this weekend uh, is... Uh, uh, Dax Khan. Good morning, Dax. Good morning, Bill. Wild up, riled up on a Monday, aren't you? I'm getting a real. I'm. You know what? It's really hard, Dax. Nobody talks about boxing more with me off air than you. And and I got news for you. I am so sick of this sport. Going from last week with the whole BS with Canelo and Triple G, then the IBF stripping Triple G, then Triple G going to go talking with the Canelo again. We all know that that fight's going to be made because Canelo can't make as much money fighting even Daniel Jacobs or Billy Joe Saunders as he could with, with Triple G. So it's all, it, it's, it's a joke. The boxing fan is the only fan in professional sports that gets jerked around like a yo-yo than any other professional sport. It, the boxing fan is fleeced and, and robbed every step of the way. Let, let's start off with the Fury fight, Dax. Um, uh, what was your impression of that comical? Uh, it looked like a. It looked like a. It really looked like a Three Stooges skit or something. It, it was a joke. It was a joke. Well, as me and Sal were talking before uh, the show started again, you know, I can understand the frustration of it because of the fact the way it was. Uh, presented to us you know even during the fight you know it was it was a comedy skit it generally was but you know this was an event and i and i do stress event in my opinion the, the main event in terms of fights on that card was the terry flanagan maurice hooker uh junior welterweight title fight but in in terms of tyson fury even in the lead up uh the, the weigh-ins and the press conferences they're hugging they're dancing literally uh slow dancing tyson fury had uh safari in his hands he was cradling him so i don't know what people were expecting did you expect after watching this to go in there and actually see some sort of all-out fight you know safari uh actually you know you, you said it perfectly, or Sal earlier said it perfectly. The guy was just there to get a payday. He's not even the best of the uh, the Safari brothers. His brother Nuri, who's a little bit older, uh, a little bit smaller, is actually the better of the fighters. Um, he's faced uh, top cruiserweights. Um, there was really no trash talk leading up to this about uh, Safari that you see from Tyson Fury. You know, more or less, it was it was an event, and it was a pitiful event. And it was a little bit one two steps below a WWE event. But, you know, I don't think in any way that any um, you can come off and say, I thought this was going to be a legitimate contest. You know, if that's the case, you know, that is why boxing fans are so easily sold and so easily fleeced. Because you would think that something like this leading up to and how it was presented was going to actually be a, a legitimate fight. I don't think Tyson Fury was actually able to get into the top shape that he said he was going to. And that's why they kind of chose this opponent rather than some guy who was even ranked in the top 20, 25. Uh, Safari isn't even ranked in the top 50 at Cruiserweight. So that tells you, you know, what, what caliber of fighter he is. I never, you know, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I never once thought that it was going to be 
a challenging fight. But what I was expecting to see, and I'll be honest, I was expecting to see something from Tyson Fury. I saw a pitiful performance from a guy that was fighting a very, um, you know, uh, an opponent that was uh, accommodating, a very accommodating opponent. His jabs were sloppy. His movement was sloppy. He seemed uncoordinated in the ring. Um, you know, you could say, well, he was out of the ring for, for three years, et cetera, et cetera. But come on, show me something that's going to justify all the trash talk that he's been doing. And I get it. You know, I'm a Tyson Fury fan, and I get it that he's funny. He thinks this is his way of humor, just like singing and all this other crap. Uh, but, you know, he didn't do anything to suggest that he's relative in the heavyweight division, even if he improves. I, 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 th that's what I saw. You, What about you? No, I didn't. There's nothing in this fight that we've seen where it says Tyson Fury's ready, even in his next two or three fights, right. uh, to step right. in there against these top 10 guys. But as aggravating as it is, and I'm not disputing that fact, and I'm not um, condoning the way this went down, even in the pre-fight, but what I'm stating is that, you know, if you really, not you personally, anybody who thought that they were going to go in there and actually see Tyson Fury uh, demonstrate, you know, after even after my layoff, look, you know, look what I can do. Tyson Fury... You know, wasn't even just a couple weeks ago, he was really out of shape. Whether or not he lost that weight is one thing, but, you know, the cardio and so on. So he's not ready to go in there and take on a viable challenge or even be pushed. You know, one thing I have noticed about Tyson Fury in the past, and, you know, he knows when he needs to buy time. We've seen that with the Klitschko fights. Um, I remember speaking to Tyson Fury prior to the Steve Cunningham fight where Tyson Fury said, I'm going to chase Vladimir Klitschko down to the ends of the earth. And then he threw in something really fast. He said, when I'm ready, you know, against Steve Cunningham, you know, early on uh, he was dropped. And then, you know, Steve was not able to hurt him. So Tyson Fury, again, he put on a show during that fight. He's raising his hands up, uh, you know, against guys uh, like Vinny Madalone. You see a different version of Tyson Fury against uh, Derek Chisora in the rematch. You see a different version of Tyson Fury. So, you know, Tyson Fury is smart, yet he's annoying at the same time. He's a good showman. He's more of a P.T. Barnum of boxing rather than a Muhammad Ali type showman of boxing. But, you know, if Tyson Fury should get himself in shape, Tyson Fury should be taken seriously. He's proven that in the past, but whether or not he does... Time can only tell that, but as of right now, no, Tyson Fury is not somebody who's relative. You know, you mentioned um, Tyson Fury maybe against the Luis Ortiz. That's a very possible fight in his, uh, you know, maybe his next fight or the one after, uh, considering that, you know, the Luis Ortiz against Dillian White fight never materialized. Uh, Lucas Brown has been very vocal lately that Ricky Hatton is not returning his phone call, so Lucas Brown is out of the picture as a uh, an opponent. And did you catch last night where Dominic Brazil was very vocal about the fact that he's Deontay Wilder's mandatory. So, you know, that kind of telling me that Deontay Wilder against Anthony Joshua isn't going to happen anytime soon. So Tyson Fury, more or less, despite what happened this weekend, has suddenly become a major player inside this sport. And if, uh, even if he doesn't face a top name, right now it's the Tyson Fury show until something more worthy materializes. Let's talk about a real fight real quick. Uh, Terrence Crawford uh, beat uh, Jeff Horn to win his title. What was your thoughts on that fight? Well, I have to say this first. Um, you know, Jeff Horn is one tough Aussie hombre. You know, the fight turned out as expected. But, you know, let's give this guy some credit. You mentioned Vasil Lomachenko earlier. We've seen a lot of guys who are a lot more skilled, a lot more accomplished than Jeff Horn quit in fights, and they were taking a lot less punishment than Jeff Horn was. But Horn stayed in there like a champion to the end. 
You know, um, outside of Errol Spence, I feel comfortable that Terrence Crawford does the same to every fighter at 147 pounds. He went in there, he boxed brilliantly, he showed that he does have power at 147 pounds. Jeff Horn is not a small fighter. Uh, Terrence Crawford showed that, you know, not only is he an offensive, but he's a defensive fighter. He was able to take a few punches from Jeff Horn. The only other guy that I see in that division giving Terrence Crawford a really hard time is Sean Porter. And not that Sean Porter is in the same caliber as Terrence Crawford in terms of skill-wise, but Sean Porter fights ugly. We've never seen Terrence Crawford really in an ugly fight. So, you know, how would Terrence Crawford react to something like that? I'm not really sure. I do think he needs a fight or two against somebody like a Sean Porter who can go in there and pressure him a little bit, and we can actually see how he takes uh, some sustained punishment from a 147-pound fighter as of what we've seen on Saturday night. On Saturday night against Jeff Horn, Terrence Crawford has officially arrived in the 147-pound division. I would hate to see him against uh, against uh, in the unification bout against uh, Errol Spence Jr. happen next. Maybe even two or three fights. I would actually like to see that one. Rare as you say it, I'd like to see that one actually marinate and see both those guys get a few more names underneath them, whether or not it's a Danny Garcia or Sean Porter or possibly a Keith Thurman when he comes back, and then have those guys fight each other, and we would actually have. Uh, the biggest and most relevant fight at 147 pounds since Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad, or if we dare even go back a little further, one of the Fab Four. Um, in an all-out action-packed fight that I don't know if anybody that watched it wasn't as, uh, you know, uh, impressed with the action that they saw, uh, really isn't a boxing fan, and I'm talking about Leo Santa Cruz's victory over Abner Mares. Loved every minute of it except for Mario Ronaldo's voice, which uh, it just makes me sick. But uh, what's your thoughts on that fight? When Abner Mares or Leo Santa Cruz are in the ring, you're going to get a good fight. I don't care who it's against. You know, I liked early on Abner Maris was pushing Leo Santa Cruz. He was on the inside. He was working. Um, Leo Santa Cruz, come about the midway point, he was able to get his distance, use his jab, uh, build up points. You know, so those guys are exciting no matter, you know, who they're in there against. So that was definitely fight of the weekend. You know, uh, Abner Maris is definitely still a top 10, top 5 fighter in that division, in my opinion. Leo Santa Cruz. He's kind of figured out a little bit. Uh, Leo Santa Cruz, you mentioned all the time about, you know, about the hand. Leo Santa Cruz, uh, he seems to have, you know, this hard time, uh, you know, getting going. It takes him three, four rounds. Uh, the only viable fight, really, or uh, the best fight in that division left for him is going to be against Gary Russell. And, you know, Russell, the WBC title holder, right? Isn't, are they kind of mandated to fight each other now? Wasn't there uh, some sort of diamond title on the line for these two guys? They created the diamond title for that. Um, but uh, but really, he's the all 100% WBA champ now. Well, he's the super-duper regular in the middle <laughs> yeah, right. champion, of course. But, um, yeah, that diamond title usually is some sort of hint that uh, the WBC regular champion or however they want to put theirs, and uh, and that guy is going to have a fight next. That would actually be a very exciting fight. It would be, you know, the explosiveness and speed of an early Gary Russell against the, uh, the volume of a Leo Santa Cruz. So, you know, that's something right there that I'm looking forward to. And hopefully, due to the politics, uh, due to location, that that fight isn't drug out because, you know, once that fight happens, we're just have you know the top man in that division and slowly you know that would just be one more division that kind of gets unified and business is settled um were you unimpressed with charlo as i was or is it just me i'm always unimpressed with charlo i know i'm not i'm not impressed by the charlo brothers me uh, you know not that i dislike the charlo brothers bill it's just that the charlo brothers are guys that i believe 
are decent fighters. They're not very good fighters. Um, they're, they're better than average, but they're not the Lions that they, they talk about, you know, this, this whole team Lion. Uh, they talk a little bit too much, and their performances don't really follow through. You know, if not for the size of the Charlos, they would already have been yesterday's news. And, and I genuinely believe that. You know, I have noticed something that, uh, you know, in that fight about Charlo is, um, you know, he, he complains a lot. In, in that fight, did you notice that... Um, at the one point in time where he's complaining about getting hit in the back of the head, and then you watch the replay, and it was nowhere near the back of the head. And another thing I noticed about Charlo is anytime he gets hit, you see that Charlo freezes, and this isn't the first time I noticed that. Anytime Charlo gets hit, and Austin Trout, not a big hit, a big puncher, you notice that Charlo freezes, and he's really um, un- unsure about how he should react, and he's not a very good counter puncher. The, the thing I, I notice about those the, the Charlo brothers, and I always refer to them as, you know, refer to them together, um, is that they're, they're very limited with their skill set. Yes, they, they have punching power, and when they attack, they attack and let their hands go. But between those points are far and few between. Like, it just seems like they're, they're not in attack mode enough. Um, they were showing an interesting stat with with his new trainer. He was throwing less punches or something, but he was more accurate. I, I mean, uh, the bottom line is it, it boils down to what we're always saying that you know fighters need to be tested early on to help them improve when they're fighting and getting by uh, with just uh, you know the bare minimum or just athleticism early in their career, and then all of a sudden they're crowned a champion. That doesn't mean they're really all set. And I think uh, the, both Charlotte brothers, specifically Jermel from Saturday Night, is a great example of that. He did not look impressive. And to, and for Austin Trout, which I didn't agree with the, the one scorecard, but uh, with Austin Trout uh, even making it close where they ruled, what what did they rule, two at least two knockdowns? Was there three in that fight? I mean, he hit the deck several times that was ruled a knockdown. So, uh uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. If, if you notice in that fight, too, and I've seen this in the past with Charlo, but um, the first knockdown, it was a genuine knockdown, but uh, Austin Trout and Charlo were very close. So Austin Trout really had no room to take a step back and, and try and regain his balance. There was a few times where Austin Trout almost went down, but he didn't. But that, uh, that second knockdown that they called, you know, Charlo's foot was actually behind Austin Trout, so Austin Trout uh, tripped. Um, you know, he did get hit with that punch as he was going down, but Austin Trout was already in motion. You know, uh, ch- you know, Charlo, the reason why this, you mentioned how they say he's throwing fewer punches and they're trying to make it more accurate, that's because, again, I stress, Charlo is not a very solid boxer. He's a decent boxer, but not very solid. Um, if you look at, they, they, they were stressing about his last couple fights and these KOs. He knocked out Erickson Lubin and Charles Hatley. You know, both were very well-planned and well-thought-out opponents who looked good on paper. Now, remember, Charles Hatley was knocked out in a single round by Leonardo Tyler. You know, Leonardo Tyler is very much like Badu Jack, you know, a guy that if you under, uh, if you sleep on him, he's going to catch you. But he's not even, you know, uh, Badu Jack in his fight against Derek Edwards. But he's not even at the level of Derek Edwards. And Leonardo Tyler is, is a career welterweight. You know, Erickson Lubin was never tested by a journeyman even at the level of Leonardo Tyler. Uh, he looks good on paper, but he's not a very good you know, you know that, that's it. He looked good on paper. He was a young fighter who had never been tested. And both of those guys are a lot smaller than Charlo was. Um, Char- uh, Austin Trout made Charlo look foolish at times. Charlo was swinging wide. Trout was seeing his punches come from a mile away. And afterwards, the most um, amusing thing to me, even more amusing than the Tyson Fury fight, was in that post-fight when they asked him, who is going to win 
between you and Jarrett Hurd. And after he stutters, Trout says, ask Austin Trout. He'll tell you who's going to win. And Austin Trout just kind of, when they asked him, he just kind of rolled his head or rolled his eyes, however you want to say it, because Charlo is not going to go out there and beat Jarrett Hurd. He's not going to go out there, and he's not going to beat Jaime Muniga. And when he faces another fighter his size that can take his power and that can box, I'm telling you now that Charlo is going to be the guy who's on the receiving end of that highlight reel KO instead of the guy who's delivering it because he's running out of Charles Hatley's. He's running out of guys like Austin Trout. He's running out of opponents that he's bigger than and he can overpower, and he's running out of opponents that cannot box. So within his next two or three fights, unless they really, really, really dig to the bottom of the pile, you watch and see that Charlo is going to be yesterday's news and his brother is going to be the guy they focus on and he's going to be the one wearing the ridiculously stupid costumes into the ring and the first time that he steps in there against the big middleweight like a Danny Jacobs I have a feeling he's going to end up the same way I agree and uh, the other thing too is that uh, these guys you know you you talk about um, Heard you know Heard the, the, the thing with him is he's got pop and he can take a punch. Um, these guys, I, I, personally, if Austin Trout was the, uh, an Austin Trout of five years ago, he would have beat both of the Charlo brothers, I think. You know, he was uh, doing very well against Hurd until he ran out of gas and couldn't handle the punching power. So, I, listen, it's all about experience. And these guys are rushed to, to title fights. They're handed titles. When you have uh, uh, these sanctioning bodies... Uh, like the IBF, who, who, eh, eh, anyway, Dax, I appreciate. You know, a I, lot of people just stress something, Bill, Sal. A lot of people, fans, don't realize exactly how big sometimes fighters are. Um, Austin Trout, the first time I met him is when he was going to face Miguel Cotto, and I was shocked at how big Austin Trout was compared to Miguel Cotto. Miguel Cotto, we know, started out as a 140-pound fighter, but that was for the 154-pound title. That was the WBA regular belt, I believe it was at the time. But when I met them, and they were standing side by side, and I'm standing next to Austin Trout, just his 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 physical size and mass compared to Miguel Cotto was massive. Of course, they weren't, you know, uh, the 154 pounds that they were, uh, you know, for fight night. But, you know, he was at his walking around weight, and it looked literally like a two and three weight division uh, difference between the two of them. And now when you look at the size of an Austin Trout next to a Charlo or next to a Herd, you know, that shows you exactly how big these guys are. These Charlos and Herds, these are guys that walk around as cruiserweights, maybe even, you know, uh, uh, you know a 200, 210-pound guy when they're not inside that ring. So, you know, this is the size advantage they have on these nights. Exactly. And that is why they're so dominant. But, you know, as you stated, when they get in there against somebody else who has that same advantage, who is able to take a punch and is able to deliver, uh, you know, that type of punishment, all of a sudden the, the, the game is going to change drastically for them. And the Charlos are going to be they'll, be, they'll be done, they'll be gone, they'll be yesterday's news. And that's, and I, I really, I can't wait. You know, you talk about Tyson Fury and his WWE antics. Look what Charlo wore into the ring the other night. And the other one looked like he was a pimp. <laughs> I know. Dax, I appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to you next time. All right, my man? All right, everybody. Enjoy the day. That Take was uh, Dax Khan uh, giving us his thoughts, and uh, uh, basically uh, he's agreeing, I think. I think he agreed with us. But uh, anyway, yeah, you know, Sal, it, it's it's getting it's getting hard. I, I'm, I'm getting uh, very frustrated with the sport and the antics, and I think what, what bothers me more – 
you know, it, it's okay to, to have a, a comical guy every now and then and see the antics and stuff. I'm okay with that. Um, it's when it happens over and over and over. And when it happens when guys aren't backing up all this stuff, you know. And But I think what makes it worse for me anyway, Sal, is that the fans accept it. And, and I it, that's disheartening for me because that ruins what I look at with this sport of boxing. Well, maybe maybe the benchmark has been lowered. I, I'm not sure. You know, it is it's, it's different, Bill. You know, he definitely it's a, a different era, different generation, different set of fighters, different uh, uh, class of of, uh, of sportsmen, and, and uh, it's uh, it, it's it's a it's a different different game right now. Uh, you know, we do see remnants of, of the great uh, days of past, and. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll uh, we'll sustain a level of interest, and, and the fighters will sustain a level of uh, competition that will keep the fans coming back. And uh, you know, we'll go through it. We've seen a great resurgence in boxing over the last two years, and some of these fights are very, very uh, exciting. And uh, uh, you know, so we got to take a little bit of the the fill in uh, the blanks kind of thing, and uh, while we get uh, fed to some, some more of the steady diet of what we anticipate to be be satisfying it's it's, it's just a matter of time and hopefully we'll we'll get some yeah well you know we've witnessed the charade known as canelo triple g and we've seen yeah. we've seen we've seen uh you know oscar de la hoya the fishnet wearing oscar de la hoya turn the tables and actually make Triple G look like the bad guy. We have people that are trying to convince me that Triple G is not a draw and he doesn't deserve the uh, the, the split that he wanted. Uh, we have uh, uh, Canelo's team acting like he's the sport of boxing. We got Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua talking like they're going to fight each other when we know damn well they're not going to fight each other, at least next. Uh, and I don't think that the fight will happen uh, this year at all. Uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, you got the the twin, the Charlo brothers, not fighting anybody, uh, pounding on their chest, and then you get the rare, real fighters that you know get stuck on some streaming network. Terence Crawford. Let me tell you, if I'm Terence Crawford, you know the first guy I would have punched after that fight is Bob Arum, 86 years old and everything, because Bob Arum is the guy taking money out of uh, Terence Crawford's pocket. He's the guy that is preventing Terrence Crawford from making the money that he should be making. When you perform the way Terrence Crawford did on Saturday night, and quite frankly, the way Terrence Crawford has done for his whole career, bucking the odds and everything else, and still to be a secondary draw, that's, that's sad, okay? It's sad in the sport of boxing that a guy like Terrence Crawford, who's actually a, a, a mean guy in the ring, but somewhat soft-spoken outside the ring doesn't get the te- attention that a that a big baby Huey slug like Tyson Fury uh, got for for his shenanigans in the ring. And then I got people that are trying to stick up for him, saying that oh he's he deserves it because he beat Klitschko. He beat Klitschko four years ago, and that was his only really good fight on his on his resume. And this is coming from a guy that was a, a huge. Tyson Fury fan. Tyson Fury was on this show a couple of times. You know, I mean, I followed Tyson Fury from his second pro fight. So don't, I don't even want to hear 
that I'm bashing the guy for no reason. I'm bashing him because he's talking smack and not backing it up. Hold that thought. I got an email to read. We will be back uh, at least for this show in uh, about two minutes. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an Excellence in Broadcasting Award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. By morning. It's talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, I-, I tell you something, Sal. It- it's it's very nerve wracking, you know. I, you know, and and a lot of people because of the uh, because of the internet and everybody thinks they can do a uh, a show like this, and it- it's 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 not easy. All right, I mean to do it the right way, you got to prepare. You you know, I get up at four in the morning. I write the show. I've been doing it all these years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's very disheartening. To see a a generation of fans coming in, buying into all the BS that we're fed, and then actually criticizing uh, people like uh, like me. All right, and you know I know you know I don't kiss anybody's ass, and I'll never win an award of any kind or anything. And I really don't care. I'm not doing it for anything like that. Uh, titles and all of that mean nothing to me. I always have felt just like the sport of boxing that uh, your performances speak for themselves. You uh, you perform well, and you'll get the accolades. I was never a huge fan of Larry Holmes or Lennox Lewis. Uh, both of these guys were great fighters, Hall of Famers. I've respect I respect them both now uh, because I've I've had a chance to really uh, dissect their careers. But Larry Holmes and Lennox Lewis both every chance they got look into the mic. I got no respect. Oh, nobody's giving me any. Well, yeah, because you're crying like a baby. I, you know, I follow the trail of tears. It's easy. This sport, the one easy part about this sport, Sal, and I know it takes a lot of hard work, dedication, heart, and everything to be a fighter and maintain uh, a successful uh, career as a fighter. But, the, but you know, the 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 hardest thing. Uh, is to uh, is to really perform. I, I mean, it's easy to perform and get the credit. All you got to do is perform. You don't have to coax people into giving it to you, right? I, I mean, am I right or wrong? No. Well, that's just it. You know, like I like I always say, you're only as good as your last fight. But you know, that's your signature. That's your calling card. That's your your audition. You're you're out there in front of fans, and and you're putting on a performance. And and I'll tell you what. You're going to want to try and rise to the occasion, do your best and be explosive and, and do your best and fight to win and show you got the heart, show you got the skills, show you got the pop, the punch, and the, the boxing ability. You know, that, that's what I'm saying. You, you're building your resume. You're, you're building your, your credibility. You're selling yourself. And when you do it, you don't do it with your mouth and all this, what you're going to do, and I can do this and that and everything else. You prove it with your fists and your mental and physical metal, your, your makeup and your character. 
and uh, you sell it to us on that level with with all your your attributes that you could push and and, and excel and to uh, sell to to us the fans. You know, uh, they're they're talking in the uh, uh, in one of the chat rooms. Uh, you know, obviously uh, people want to see. Uh, welterweights now. Errol Spence uh, Jr. is a top welterweight. Uh, this guy, yes, what's his he name? Is. What's his name? Uh, I keep forgetting. Keith something or other. He used to fight. I don't even know if he's still. Yeah, oh, that's right. Keith Thurman. Oh, yeah. He stubbed his toe. He, he broke a, a, a fingernail. I don't know. But, it's been uh, a while since um, we've seen him. What, uh, what was the last time we yeah, saw him? He's a fraud, too. I mean, uh, but, but, you know, if these guys all dance together. Don't be surprised if uh, Terrence Crawford ends up being the guy who rises to the top uh, between uh, uh, Errol Spence and and Keith Thurman. I mean, you know, uh, we all like like the the great Bill Parcells says you was you're only as good as your record says you are. And I got news for you: when you dissect the resumes of those top three welterweights. And I'm referring to uh, Keith Thurman, uh, you know, Errol Spence Jr., and now Terrence Crawford. I think Terrence Crawford has the toughest resume of of them. Uh, He may not have some of the more known names on his resume like a, uh, you know, like some of the other fighters do, um, like a Sean Porter type of a, a name. But the guys that he did fight in the junior welterweight division were all tops. And uh, the way he fights, Sal, wouldn't shock me, man. No, it wouldn't shock me either. And I think, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I I would love to see, and I don't know when we will, but uh, uh, I'd love to see Keith Thurman get back in the ring and see what he could uh, put on as far as uh, selling us again, his, his, uh, his uh, being a title holder and credibility. But, the fight that's looming out there, I, I, we're talking about it. it. It's been mentioned. And I, I don't know if it's a 50-50 fight or what, but can you imagine if Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence get in a ring, what kind of fight we're going to be fed right there? That's unbelievable. Well, you know, he, here's the thing, and they're talking about it now. Um you know the the uh, know, yeah my man my man Jason's that also reminded me about Kel Brook. Don't forget about Kel Brook. Um, but uh, yeah. uh, you know the the thing about Errol Spence is he doesn't really have the resume either yet though Sal he really doesn't. I mean when you really look at his resume it's not too impressive you know and and he's fighting a mandatory uh, this weekend I think it's this weekend uh, against uh, Carlos Ocampo. And this is what's got me all riled up. The IBF uh, with the mandatories. I got an email to read. And this is going to get me going because uh, it's from my man, Mitch. He says, uh, um, you know, for all the fans in hindsight who are saying that Triple G should fight uh, Deverinchenko or should have fought Deverinchenko in May uh, and who are now saying that Triple G was scared of him, Make sure they say the same thing to the other fighters. He says the IBF rankings mean first up for Deverinchenko is. Now, this is following the IBF who stripped Triple G after they accepted a $20,000 check from Triple G to let him fight a mandatory defense. Now they strip him because they allegedly believed that he wasn't going to fight Canelo, which they approved. 
And now those negotiations are being discussed again. So now the IBF looks like a bunch of thieving bastards, if you be honest, if you want me to be honest. But he says the IBF rankings mean first up for Devorinchenko is in according to the IBF rankings, Daniel Jacobs. And then Mitch says, well, I bet he won't take that fight, Jacobs. And the reason isn't because he's scared of Devorinchenko. It's because who the hell is Devorinchenko? You're not going to be able to make money. Just like they were talking before about Tyson Fury fighting Luis Ortiz in the other chat room. They're saying, well, Tyson Fury can't make enough money. Well, hey, listen, it's... Hey, Sal, when they say it's not about the money, what does it mean? It's about the money. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, He says the second guy... That's on the IBF rankings. Charlo, he moved up to win the belt, so he should take it, but I bet he won't. Um, He says, and the third guy, Demetrius Andrade, he may take it, but he also may price himself too high. And that's typically what happens to Demetrius Andrade's uh, team, Joe DeGuardia of Star Boxing and Banner Promotions, Artie Puello. They both overpriced their fighter. That's why we never see him fight. Uh, he says, so if none of these guys fight him for the vacant title, I want the same folks, this is Mitch, I want the same folks to say they are scared of Devrinchenko, just like they're saying Triple G was. You asked an interesting question the other day. You said, so if uh, Triple G and Alvarez reach a deal, which they may indeed do so now that talk's resumed, how stupid will the IBF feel for jumping the gun? Here's the problem that uh, Mitch has. He says, if Triple G's intent wasn't to fight Devrinchenko, why give the IBF the 20 grand in the first place? He had until August to make a decision. You know, I agree with that, Sal. Yeah, I do if, if, if you're not going to fight the guy, why cough up 20 bananas? I mean, the truth yeah. of the matter is, is the IBF took the money and run. They actually robbed Triple G. Uh, and, and this is an organization, this is a sanctioning body that people put value in their titles. Uh, you know, this is the problem. This is why I'm so jacked up and becoming uh, very, I'm losing my interest in this sport because of moves like this. And then there's actually people who justify it. He says, um, uh, uh, he says, anyway, I think his plan late in his career was to take a money fight, meaning Triple G, a real fight for the money. No MMA BS. Who hasn't done that? They have 20 uh, grand in good faith and Triple G's team got shafted. Yet Elder Alvarez became a multi-millionaire, earning step-aside money from Adonis Stevenson. Adonis Stevenson, a guy who hadn't fought his mandatory in over five years, which is true. And he hasn't even gotten stripped. So, thanks for the email. Um, So, I mean, these are the kinds of shenanigans, Sal, that are ruining the sport. But worse, the fans accept it. So, if it ain't broke, then nobody's going to... Nobody's going to walk away from cash cows. As long as the fans accept it, it's going to continue. So get used to it is what I say. Well, I think you got a point there, and you're right. They're not going to change anything, and uh, it's not broken. Nobody's given an outcry of things to be changed. And, you know, it'll continue as par, you know. It'll be it. And uh, it's, a new or- it's a new order in boxing. Who knows? Um, it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. And, um, you know, you got you got the, the Canelo Triple G charade. You got the Charlo brothers pounding the chest. You got Tyson Fury saying he could beat Deontay or AJ with one hand behind his back. Then he goes and 
puts on a, a Ringling Brothers and Barn and Bailey Circus performance. You know, there was a better fight that broke out uh, with 15, 16 people in the stands uh, than uh, what was taking place in the ring. It's a joke, you know. And then you see a fighter like Terrence Crawford, whose uh, promoter sticks him on some unknown network so that the masses can't even see him. Uh, they have to wait till the next day for all the uh, replays and illegal streams, all of that. I mean, uh, come on. And I'll be honest, that's how I watched it. I, I didn't want to watch it on, on ESPN+. Plus, uh, and I hope that, uh, that the numbers weren't that great. You know, but once again, Terrence Crawford is the guy who's getting screwed. Bob Arum. Talk about uh, uh, taking advantage of a fighter. I don't know if there's been a fighter as talented as Terrence Crawford in the history of the sport that has been taken advantage of by his promoter as much as Terrence Crawford has been by Bob Arum. Or unless you want to sprinkle in Demetrius Andre with his two promoters, uh, with all the hands in it. And then you could even sprinkle in Deontay Wilder because that guy has to go around telling people he wants to kill somebody in the ring before anybody will listen to him. I can keep going, Sal. I can keep going. I mean, it's 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 sad. It's sad, and 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 all these fans are buying into it. I I just don't understand it. I don't understand. And and I say this all the time. I say all the time, and no disrespect to you because you fought in this era. But if you would have come up to me and said in 1983 or 1985, "Hey, Bill, you think you're witnessing the last great era of boxing?" I would have laughed my ass off. I would have said, "This, these guys." These guys, Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns and these guys, you think they're great? How about the guys in the 40s and the guys in the 30s? You know, I would have never in a million years thought boxing would have sunk as low as it has to suggest, and I'm not, you know, in hindsight, obviously those guys, Tommy Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Marvin Hagel, Roberto Duran, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were all extremely great fighters, and, and I wish we had them today. But my point was, was that I would have never thought in a million years that that would have been the last great era to go all these years, 30 years, longing for an era like that again. I mean, that is kind of sad, Sal. Well, it is. And uh, like I said, I was just glad to be a part of it. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a different mindset, different mentality, different different marketing, and different uh, rules and regulations in place. You know, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was more of a... Um, uh, playing field that you could understand, and uh, there was less sanctioned bodies. I mean, uh, when I turned pro, I mean, uh, it was just the WBA, WBC, and then they sprung up the IBF, which the IBF leveraged itself very brilliantly in, into the mix, and and it was uh, it was nice. Everything came about uh, well, and you know, you recognize it. It built its credibility very fast, and. Uh, I'll tell you what, it was all still manageable. And then I think the WBO came in, and this one, that one, even there, it had uh, some nice things. But, you know, yeah, forget about it. After, after the, the late 80s and 90s, uh, you know, we, we definitely uh, overshot what we were hoping to get hit as a target. You know, the thing, um, uh, the thing about, you know, you, you're saying, uh, oh, a couple of titles here and there, you know, Boxing, the powers that be realized that the titles were starting to ruin the sport. So what do we do? We say, okay, let's look at the linear. That's when the whole talk of the linear 
title Olympia. came back I in. Know. No, crazy. no, listen, listen. That's when it came back into the picture. And I'm talking 10 yeah. years ago, okay? Everybody started saying, okay, well, there's so many belts. Who's the real champions? Well, let's go linear. Let's go all the way back to the first uh, uh, gloved era champions. And the guy who beat the guy in the ring is the, the linear champ. And we were able to follow it all the way. Um, and uh, thankfully, the ring belt, the ring magazine belt, was also synonymous with that linear champ. That all changed when Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy bought the ring magazine. Now we don't even have that anymore. So for people to suggest that the linear championship holds some value now, you throw that one out the window too. Every time boxing tries to reboot itself to gain respect and legitimacy, something else comes along to shoot it in the foot. And, you know, it's a shame because right now, from an athletic standpoint, our fighters today, just like all of our athletes in every sport, are better than they ever were from years gone by, all right? If the fighters today fought the real fights and were moved and brought up the way they were in the 40s and 50s and 60s and, and even into the 80s, um, we would have we would be talking about living through a great era. If you had guys like the Charlo brothers and Keith Thurman and Terrence Crawford and and all these guys that you know Vasily Lomachenko, all these top fighters that we talk about fighting their way up, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua fighting their way up and being tested early on, sixth, eighth, tenth fight, and still remain where they are today. We would be talking some real good things about the sport of boxing. But because they coddle their fighters, because they handpick and, and, and their opponents and cherry pick after their title, and it's all about the money, uh, we end up with what we got today. So you're going to put these kinds of guys. What's going to happen? The Hall of Fame induction weekend just took place this past weekend. Yeah. All right. What's going to happen 20 years from now? Who's going to go in the Hall of Fame? How are we going to judge a Hall of Famer? When a guy like Marlon Starling isn't even in the Hall of Fame, and he fought in the 80s, fought everybody, and he's not in the Hall of Fame because he's not paying off Brophy. You know, I mean, how are you going to judge it? How are you going to judge these guys that have a good resume and who didn't fight anybody? You guys have heard me talk negatively about Floyd Mayweather for years. The truth of the matter is, I don't like him. But that doesn't mean he didn't beat some good fighters. All right, I, I question the, his choice of when he fought them and his other options at the time, but the resume will speak for itself. He fought a lot of former champions or champions uh, and, and won. You know, you could say what you want about him. I certainly do every chance I get. You know, he was a cherry picker. He was bad for the sport, all these things. But at the end of the day, at least he's going to have one thing going for him at the end in five years when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame is he's going to have a resume that's going to look good for future generations. There's a lot of fighters out there today that are not going to be able to do that. You know, this kid, Jamel Charlo, who just fought uh, recently, he's talking about c continuing his knockout streak, and it failed. He, was gonna, he said he was going to knock out Austin Trout. Um, you know, ha Charles Hatley? I mean, when you look at him, yeah, he was undefeated. But go take a look at his record before he, he uh, uh, you know, fought uh, Charlo. You know, it, it was his first test fight. You know, you can't judge a fighter just by the O. You can't do it. You can't do it. No. 
Sal, it's sickening. It's sickening. We're not doing know. a show tomorrow. And and I and I'll tell you, um, it's uh, it, it's sad. It, what I want to hear, by the time we come back on Wednesday, I want to hear that Triple G Canelo is signed, sealed, and delivered. I want to hear some kind of uh, uh, talk had resumed with uh, AJ and Deontay. Maybe they're going to finally admit to us that the plan was to fight at the end of the year or beginning of next year all along. Just give it to us, man. Don't drag it on. You know, I don't want to hear any more BS from Bob Arum. Uh, you know, I, Bob Arum, you know, he's... If I'm Terrence Crawford, I'd get away from Bob Arum. And I, you know, Bob Arum and Don King, two guys at the top of their uh, craft for a half a uh, uh, century, it's time to step aside, all right? Uh, it's time. Don has already done it, and it's time for Bob Arum to step aside. We need some, uh, I don't even know, though. I don't even know if that's even worse, Sal, because, you know, they're the last breath of fresh air from the way things used to be. I, I I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss for words. I really am, and that's rare for a big mouth like me. Well, I'll tell you. I was gonna say I didn't want to call you big mouth, but you you being lost for words that's uh, that's uh, synonymous to hearing it from me. <laughs> that's part of the end result. Uh, I don't know, Bill. We just gotta you know hope and, and pray that you know we get the we get to see the continuity of some fine boxing uh, as we have the last two years. I think I think this will all pan out. Like I said, I think Canelo, Triple G will be announced. And uh, I know we're losing faith in the dates or the opportunities that uh, Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua will give the fight fans. But, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's not throw in the towel, so to speak, just yet. No pun intended. Well, let me ask you this. If the fighters are willing to fight anybody and yet their management doesn't let them or or we hear the 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 canned phrase hey uh, so and so you just won this fight who you want next oh whoever they put in front of me i i just do the fighting i, I just do the fighting my my promoter and the manager they do so that's their scapegoat that's their way out that's their way of 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 when they fight that puff cake that that that, that cream puff uh, of a fight, next fight. They, well, it wasn't me. I, I wanted the baddest guy on the planet. Instead, they gave me this cream puff. You know, I, hey, you know, come on, man. You know, you need the right dance. The great fighters need the dance partners. We got the dance partners at the stadium. They're just not dancing with each other, and that's the problem. That's the problem. Anyway, um, well, I'll tell you what, though. That's why I love what I heard coming out of Leo Santa Cruz's mouth after the fight. You know, they say, "Well, how do you feel about fighting this guy?" They go, oh, bring them all! I don't care. I'll fight everybody. I, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm the best. I'm gonna fight anybody. I don't care what I got to do. Well, Leo, no, Leo Santa Cruz. This is the same guy, Leo Santa Cruz, apologizing with all sincerity after a fight that he doesn't knock his opponents. I want to apologize to my fans for my performance. He's a rare breed. You, you, or Leo Santa Cruz is. You say, why are you apologizing, Leo? You won the fight. You know, Well, because I didn't knock him out. All these fans paid good money to get here to, to, to watch me knock him out, and I couldn't knock him out. You know, So he's apologizing to the fans. I love it. But uh, anyway. And, we and got, after Maris, too. After Maris says, hey, we're here for you guys. We fight for the fans. Now, I thought that was a little overboard. You know, you fight for yourself, too. You fight to win. I get it. I get it. But uh, for him to put on, like I'm saying, you look at those two guys. 
that's what boxing needs, that kind of mindset, that kind of mentality. We're here for the fans. We want to fight. We want to fight. Oh, I don't care who I fight. I'll fight anybody. Well, thank I God. That, that's refreshing to hear from world-class fighters. Thank no. thank God for Mexican fighters because that's, that's, right. that's their mentality. The Mexican fighters and the Filipino fighters fight like that. That's the way they want to be. That's the way they fight. And it's sad to me as an American to see that the majority of the American fighters are always the ones that are ducking and dancing and duking and doing all this stuff uh, because uh, they're the ones that seem not to make the fights that we want to see. The Europeans and, uh, like I mentioned, uh, you know, the Philippine uh, fighters and also the Mexican fighters, they're always willing to fight no matter who's in front of them. And uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, there's not enough of them to carry the sport. But uh, our trivia question, uh, the winner of this will, the first one to email me the correct answer, uh, will uh, win their very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game, the same game that Alex Papali uses for our uh, Blast from the Past segment. And this week's Blast from the Past will feature Vitaly Klitschko. Uh, which uh, we were trying to do last week before his induction into the International Boxing Hall of Fame this past weekend. Uh, so we'll uh, be talking about uh, Vitaly Vitali with a Klitschko, that one, the older brother, uh, on Wednesday. Um, what is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division fighting for a world title, excluding, that means not counting boys and girls, the heavyweights? What is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division for a title fight, excluding the heavyweights? If you're the first one uh, to email me the correct answer, and I'm looking for the names of the fighters in addition to the height difference. Uh, if you are uh, the first one to email me the correct answer, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com, you'll win uh, your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. So uh, uh, what's the biggest height difference between two fighters in the same division fighting for a world title excluding heavyweights? Email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com. On this day in boxing history, June 11th, this guy is a, a, almost a forgotten fighter, but on this day in 1932, Marcel Phil, wins the world middleweight title via an 11th round disqualification over Gorilla Jones, uh, and that fight took place in Paris. That's Paris for you Americans. Uh, on this day in 2000, Takanori uh, Hakayama uh, knocks out Gilberto Serrano uh, to win the WBA lightweight title to place in Tokyo. On this day in 1992, Rodolfo Blanco wins a 12-round decision over Dave McCauley uh, to win the IBF flyweight title to place in Spain. On this day in uh, 1982, Wilfredo Bazooka Gomez uh, stops Juan Ant, uh, Antonio Lopez in the 10th round to retain his WBC World Super Bantamweight title took place uh, in uh, Las Vegas. On this day in 1982, I mentioned him earlier in this show, Larry Holmes stops Jerry Cooney in the 13th round to retain his WBC World Heavyweight title, and that took place in Vegas. I remember that fight. There was so much hype surrounding that fight. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Jerry Cooney had the world behind him uh, in that fight and uh, came up short against uh, the great uh, Larry Holmes, Hall of Fame Larry Holmes. And uh, this fight was on closed circuit television. 
which uh, evolved into pay-per-view. So a little yeah. FYI, uh, in uh, in 1982, man, times have changed. And finally, yeah. on this day, June 11th in 2005, uh, one of the saddest days in boxing for me uh, as a lifelong boxing fan, Kevin McBride knocks out Mike Tyson in the sixth round to improve to 33 wins, four losses, and one draw. This would be the last Mike Tyson fight. Uh, he was inducted into the International Hall of Fame in 2011. He had a career of 50 wins and six losses. And after this fight, Mike Tyson said, I'm retiring because if I can't, and you know, he didn't mean it with disrespect, but uh, he says, if I can't beat a Kevin McBride and I'm getting knocked out by a guy like him, I don't deserve to be in the ring. And true to his word, he never came back. So uh, Mike Tyson, uh, last fight of his career uh, today, in credit to Kevin McBride. And I happen to have seen Ken Kevin McBride get knocked out so bad uh, that uh, they carried him right past me in, in a stretcher. I think it was against Pulov. Uh, no, it was against Maurice Wach. That's right. It was at Foxwood. Wow. So uh, anyway. Hey, listen, boys and girls, that concludes our show for today and tomorrow because we I got so frustrated today. I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm hoping for some a lot of news to take place in the next 48 hours so that we can come back uh, with a little life uh, come Wednesday. Um, make sure you drop me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns to be part of the show, Billy at Talking Boxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Make sure you tune in Wednesday morning, same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da 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 da